0: Welcome to Fudson Film. I'm Drew Tavendale, with me for this episode, Mr Scott Morris. Hello! Now, this month, because our blood pressure wasn't already suitably distressingly high, we have chosen to look at films that reflect, recount, and or comment upon stories of social importance and themes of injustice, iniquity, intolerance, and the perilous power of ideas. We'll be looking at films from three different continents and in three different languages, Four, if you count Geordie as a separate language, which would be understandable, with topics that cover or touch upon transgenderism, intellectual freedom, moral persecution, dangerous ideologies, income inequality, the failure of the welfare state, the lingering effects of colonialism, capitalism, and the banality of evil. Nice and light. We're keeping yes. this nice and light. Coincidentally, at least three of our films also feature, to a greater or lesser extent, the deleterious influence of religion. Not surprising, though, as while I am sure that a great many people have found succor, comfort in their faith over the millennia, organized religion is probably the single greatest ill that has ever afflicted our species, and its effects are widespread. And just to keep things really light and fluffy, our accompanying compare and contrast episode this month will look at racism, as we'll be talking about the nineteen fifteen and the twenty sixteen, The Birth of a Nation expect our soon-to-be-issued death certificates to read, cause of death, apoplexy-induced aneurysm.
1: (laughs) Settle in fellow snowflakes as we social justice warrior the hell out of this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to begin our journey in South America with Tambien la Juvia, Even the Rain, in English, which sees a Spanish film crew arrive in Bolivia to shoot a film about Christopher Columbus and his maltreatment of the indigenous inhabitants of Santo Domingo, now the Dominican Republic. They wish to tell the story of the persecution of the Taino people by Columbus and his conquistadores, their indifference to their suffering, their lust for money, and the way that these Europeans looked down upon dark-skinned natives as lesser peoples. To make this film, they travel to Bolivia, where the Europeans look down upon the dark-skinned natives, and where the costs of filming are much cheaper, Bolivia is one of the world's poorest countries, and where they intend to use the native Andean Quechua people, who are short in stature and speak Quechua, to play the Taino tall, well-proportioned people who spoke Taino, because the language and ethnicity will all seem the same to their audience. Key to the film is the casting of Atue, the Taino chief who led resistance against the Spanish and earned himself legendary status, as well as a fiery death as a result. Director Sebastian, Gael Garcia Bernal, finds his ideal man in local Cochabamba native Daniel, Juan Carlos Adoviri, a firebrand and political activist whose revolutionary communist ideals include the crazy notion that it's wrong to tax, restrict and own all of the water, even the rain. It truly boggles the mind to think that there are people who genuinely believe that access to water isn't a universal human right. Hmm. Daniel's political activities, which see him take a central role in the Cochabamba water protests, A real event that happened in the year 2000 when the local population rose up against the privatization of the city water supply and a 300% increase in prices threatened to disrupt filming when he finds himself beaten by police during a protest and then beaten again and arrested when he refuses to stop protesting. The cast and crew find themselves trapped in a city by police, the military, and protesters, and their own strengths of conviction are challenged. In particular, the actors who had so evangelized their characters of Antonio de Montesinos and Bartolome de las Casas and their critical, principled role in denouncing the exploitation of the indigenous peoples of the Americas are found very much wanting. Sebastián, who at first has seemed invested in and sympathetic to the locals' plight, begins to care only about finishing his film and the Indians' role in that. So he, too, has turned the Native Americans into nothing more than a resource, just as the subjects of his film did half a millennium ago. Luis Tosar Costa, the calculating producer of the film and the most concerned with finances, goes the other way and finds something more important than finishing the film with which to get involved. This, you could look at this as a film about filmmaking.
1: Hmm.
0: Although I would say it's not really that it. Because that sounds like it could be very pretentious, very, very navel-gazy. <laughs>
1: Had you seen this before? I think yeah, I, I had, yes. Yeah. Um, yes. This was the, the first time that I'd seen this. Uh, I guess, just to get the crude mechanics out of the way, I did very much enjoy the film. I think the, the draw for me when it was mentioned was Gail Garcia Bernal, who I think we're both yeah. pretty big fans of. Um, yeah, he's a particular yeah. favourite of mine, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And, and while he's good in this, he's he's not really anything to do like the star of the film. And no, he's, he's well, not. Um,
0: well, he's rather. for being almost certainly the biggest star in the film, he's mm-hmm. not so much a minor role, but he's very much, um, well, I guess, third billing to Danielle and Costa.
1: Yeah, yeah. And those are the two that kind of really impressed me, um, as a very particular with his sort of fire um, mm-hmm. and, his, and the way he uh, stood up for, for his rights. Uh, but also, I think, in terms of the acting performance, uh, Luis Tosar does incredibly well. Um, mm-hmm. And he's the only character well, that has any sort of arc to him in the film. And I think that's probably the obvious narrative hook to hang the film on. You say, but maybe a film about filmmaking, um, although that's more as a, a crude analogue of the Columbus myth than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get the impression this film's quite pleased with itself about the, the way it's uh, juxtaposed these two things. I don't think it deserves quite that much uh, backslapping uh, to go on with it. There's a few points where it comes across as almost a bit smug. It's like, ah, see what I'm doing here. And... Uh, To to an extent, you feel like going, well, well, that's obvious, but then I suppose it isn't because no one else has done it. If it was that obvious, then we've been seeing it before, um, right?
0: I think, and there certainly aren't as many as there should be, but there are some films which have, in the English language, British films in particular, which have looked at at least some of the the lingering effects of um, British colonialism. Yeah. If there are more Spanish language films that cover the Spanish Empire, then I'm I not aware of them. This is the first one that I can remember seeing that, like, so, at least so obviously tackles that too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if if it were obvious, yes, that they wouldn't be making this film, I guess, and it's not...
1: Yeah, and, I mean, the, the downside... Well, the after-effects of colonialism is one of the areas that always seems wildly underserved when you're in the uh, British sphere, at least uh, there mm-hmm. is still some lingering affection for the days of empire that that seems to be going around that makes it difficult to actually have people criticize it and i wonder if there's a whole raft of cinema from the likes of well most of the indian subcontinent and so on that that deal with this that we're not seeing because it just wouldn't get get through here um uh, <laughs> and there's i don't know too many british filmmakers that are doing it and even the ones that i can think of that deal with and are doing it like zulu where <laughs> It's it's still you know the brave savages is the is the the, the greatest honour they will bestow upon them rather than you know them being actual human beings with motives and had their yeah, land yeah. invaded and that sort of thing yeah still a little bit one sided at the minute I don't actually feel that.
0: I see where you're coming from about it being a bit sort of back slappy um I I don't feel that but I can see why you're why you're saying that
1: yeah I don't think there's any bad performances in it overall quite a well cast film and they all seem to do their jobs quite well. It's admittedly only has a few main stars, but it was very enjoyable. It's well written, I think. Um, it is quite funny. I think the fellow that's playing Columbus, who would be...
0: Oh, um, Cara... Cara... Uh...
1: Oh, hold on. Jaldi? Uh, he gets most of the laughs, I would think, or well, the lines share of the funny lines, due to his status as being the, the cast drunk father, basically. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that, that lends a levity to a lot of the film that makes it an easier watch than a lot of the films we'll talk about.
0: Yes. Um we, I think we're as we move along, it's like where we're going to end it's very goes scale, out yeah. of the window. <laughs> I don't know, our second last film actually has a fair bit of humor, so I mean about eleven things, but yes, um just expect our blood pressure to steadily rise as we yeah. carry on to this episode. You mentioned uh, about you could see yes as a um, a film about filmmaking and it's a little bit backslappy, What I wonder about that is and because it's about you know the, the lingering effects of European colonialism, the racial inequality that still exists and it's yeah. particularly bad in Bolivia. What I wonder is just how because I mean the film is about the the fact that you know in 500 years not a lot of things have changed. Yeah. That they, these people are still being exploited by the powerful rich westerners and the fact that there's like, there's hypocrisy because they have come to bolivia basically to exploit the fact that it's really cheap and they're yeah. poor to make this film about people who exploited the poor more vulnerable people um, yeah. in the mid-16th or the early 16th century i just and it was a point i saw raised in an article i read about this film a while ago too is did they actually pay the real Bolivian extras more than the fake film crew in the film pays the Bolivian extras, you know, because... I I want to know how many layers of irony and hypocrisy this film has. (laughs) I think Roger Ebert had made the comment that he didn't see a credit anywhere that said these um, extras were paid considerably more than the $2 a day that the fictional extras within... (laughs) It's really hard to talk about films within films. (laughs) It's to add a third layer to that. So I hope, like, they didn't actually make a film about exploiting people, about exploiting people, by exploiting people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's in its own, is, is really interesting too, because like how easy it is to, to do those things and maybe not even realise or think you're doing something for the right reasons. Hmm. Because that's there in the film, about the film, within the film, they've come to try and make this film about all these terrible crimes that were committed and then end up sort of making some crimes themselves or by their inaction, condoning other crimes. Yeah, that's like you kind of need to get very, very meta. to go up one layer in Inception or something to be able to see the outside of this to see whether that's also increasing. But it's a very, very interesting film, and it, it's, a, it's a Spanish post-colonialism for me, at the very least, is something very underserved. And that's crazy because you think of the huge amount of the world geographically and population-wise that was part of the Spanish Empire—one of the three countries of, of three big countries of North America, much of the Caribbean, all of. Um, South America apart from Brazil and all the countries that, that people call Central America that's just a region, not a continent uh, Nicaragua, yeah. Honduras, etc so I mean that's a, it's a massive chunk of the world's population Yeah. so it's, I think it's probably every bit it's underserved in that regard as the British Empire was.
1: Yeah and I, I guess it's, it just goes back to the same point as before, it's going to be harder to get funded when you were the oppressors, and mm-hmm. I think the story will be inherently less interesting when it's told by a Spanish or a British filmmaker, not that it wouldn't be valid, and would be interesting I suppose, but the actual story you see is the people that were on the other end of the, that boot, and unfortunately most of those countries are still relatively poor, so yes, and don't yes. have much of a film industry, so I don't know if that's going to be a, a factor in actually seeing this. We're not going to get this until you know, there's some huge shifts in world economic balances, which, well, could well be happening. Who knows? Everything's up in the air at the minute. It's still something I would like to see more. There's got to be some British people with a or Spanish filmmakers with a an eye for this kind of thing that could do some great yeah. justice to it.
0: So I don't know whether it has to be indigenous or not because this film is set in Bolivia about something that happened in what's now the Dominican Republic, but it's a Spanish-Mexican film, it's not a Bolivian film. So it doesn't have to be a guess. And you know, there are a couple of Latin American countries with particularly strong cinematic traditions, a particularly strong film industry, Argentina in particular, mm-hmm. and Mexico, which 60, 70 years ago had, had an astonishingly strong film industry. In the last probably 15 years, um, mm-hmm. Mexican cinema's been particularly strong again in the last couple of decades. Argentina, yes, really strong. So, there certainly there is a the Latin American film industry, so they could hopefully take this up because I mean yes, Argentina again should be a rich country but it's got a lot of inequality and the top people are white. Um
1: <laughs> I mean, that that is the thing. Again, they could even those countries they could fund it, but they couldn't mm. write it. I think it needs to be at the very least be written and conceived by the press, right, rather than the press.
0: Yeah. Although you say so, that, but what's quite interesting though is even the rain. Is written by a Scotsman
1: Yeah and uh, to be honest I don't think it does a particularly Brilliant job of going into the viewpoint Of the Bolivians you know, It shows how they are being oppressed But other than the very obvious fact that no one Likes to be oppressed and people would <laughs> like to have water It's not really going into a great deal of uh, Depth as to you know, what what are Their feelings, how do they feel about this, how do they feel Historically about what's happened to them that yeah, kind of thing. Thing. It's, just, it's all observed by The, well oppressors in this case but From the
0: point of view of the, the Spanish Film crew yes, I mean that's yeah. fair so yes, I think maybe for that for that level of cultural insight, then yes, it needs to be written by. In this case, it would be now,
1: or not necessarily needs to, but it, it seems like it would be more input from would be a better at least. Yeah, I think. It, or it, it would seem like it has to come from those voices, whether they do the right or not. I don't. I don't necessarily think that's maybe it's maybe not fair. But I question what value a Scotsman would have to the story. Hello. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, well, that said, I I think is. Um, Paul Laverty's script yeah. is, is sympathetic. <laughs> I find the film very entertaining. I think the performances yeah. are great. As just mentioned earlier, Gael Garcia Bernal, favourite of both of ours. Relatively small role for him, um, mm. although it's still he's is every bit as good as he generally is. It's just it's not the same sort of captivating role that he had in, for instance, Neruda, which we spoke about earlier this year. Yeah. But yeah, Juan Carlos Aduviri, who even just physically is is really interesting. Mm. As with most people in Bolivia nowadays, he's a meslo. I think I'm that sure right. somebody of of mixed heritage because most of the populations of the native peoples are, I don't want to use the word pure because that's a bad road to go down, but you know what I mean? It's um, that there was that they've mixed with the colonials and various other immigrants that have come to the countries over the the centuries. Mm. But he does look very, very native and even not just because of that, but he's just a very physically interesting person. So, and it's something they talk about in the film as the, as his character but there's a real, I don't know, something kind of a real spark in his eyes that mm-hmm. just make him such an interesting person to watch. And I don't think he's particularly particularly experienced as an actor, but he's really really vibrant in this film. Yeah. Also, the the girl that plays his daughter Belen is is really natural too. And again, I, don't, mm-hmm. I think she was first time actor. And then yeah, uh, Luis Tosar is really really interesting. As she says, probably the only character that has a real arc. I most people in this are actually really good, yeah cara Elihelde is is really interesting as Colon as Columbus. and yeah like when they're their their guts kind of desert them later on, but mm. Carlos Santas as Bartolomeo de las casas and um Raul Arevalo as montesinos you know when they're trying to when they're in the scenes where they're they're fired up and they're given their their lectures um, in church uh, really, really strong performances there from everybody. Yeah. I think probably the person, it's not that her performance is bad, she just it's and so often it's the case, a bit of a sausage fest, I guess. Mm. Is uh, Cassandra Cangarote um, as Maria, she's part of the film crew, but she's making a documentary. So you've got an extra film, a bit of film within a film, a bit of film, <laughs> a bit of film at um, so many levels. This film, she's not given on a lot to do. Um, no. I've seen her in other films, like there's a Mexican film called. Las Horas Contigo The Hours With You in which she's really really good so I know she can act well she's a bit underserved in this but it's mm. acting wise generally really really strong across the board and some really standout moments too just as it's a scene on their own but also as a sort of about the art of filmmaking within a film about films and mm. <laughs> there's that scene where they are rehearsing in the grounds of the hotel um, yeah. so Anton is playing his role as um, Colón and starts Demanding of the waitress, like, Where, where's the gold, hmm. Don está el oro, Donde está oro, and then she's just sort of standing there. She's kind of scared, and then like, like that. He says, oh, okay, we're finished now. We're going to get a drink and have a smoke." Hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, miss. you <laughs> are hearing back? And so there's some actually really good acting moments in that, that are yeah. and really good scenes. But it's a, also really interesting as a whole piece.
1: The second best film about water poverty after Quantum of Solace. You've got that going for it.
0: <laughs> actually as you mentioned water shortage so that's also the theme of this episode is about social importance but the whole water thing is something else that's kind of underserved actually as well as this film deals with post-colonialism and racism and and so many other things that are in here the water thing is a problem it's going to become a bigger problem and the fact that off the top of my head I can think of three films that deal with that um, issue and one of them is as you mentioned the James Bond (laughs) film Tells me that there's something yeah. deeply, deeply lacking. Because there's, there's a science fiction film, a Mexican American science fiction film called Sleep Dealer, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. It's also about privatisation of water um, in the sort of near future. There's this and there's Quantum of Solace. In it. But for, <laughs> for a huge part of the world, genuine problem. Yeah, Only going to get worse with continued climate change and the world warming up. And it's actually, now I think about it, it's conspicuous by its absence in film. I get as much as that I'm aware of films about it. Yeah. I watched this a couple of years ago because it was a favourite film of somebody I know and I really liked it. I'm glad to hear that you liked it as well. I'm hoping maybe our listeners would be inspired to check this one out.
1: Oh yes, definitely I would recommend it. If you're watching it purely on the grounds of a sociological experiment, then it's Maybe not the deepest, I think it's got too many strings to its blows, if anything. Um, it's trying to look at too many things. The, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, yeah but um, in, in terms of interesting films to, well, films that will give you interesting ideas to talk about afterwards, then there's few better than Even the Rain, so yes, yeah, so it, it's certainly uh, highly recommended and it's a very enjoyable film, so yes, can't go wrong with that.
0: So, we're going to head north now to oh. North America and... Indeed, to Transamerica.
1: Yes, I mean, Transamerica. Felicity Huffman's Bree is looking forward to the gender reassignment surgery that will physically at least make a woman out of him. However, her life gets flipped, turned upside down, when a phone (laughs) call comes through telling her that she's fathered a son after a college indiscretion. Said kid, Toby, played by Kevin Zegers, is currently languishing in a New York police jail and Bree is told in no uncertain terms that she must deal with this before her surgery. So off she goes from Los Angeles to bail him out. Uh, she doesn't reveal her uh, this relationship to Toby, instead posing as a church outreach worker. Wanting shot of any such complications, Bree sets about finding the quickest way to discharge any guardianship of Toby. Uh, with the birth mother having died many years back, it seems like a trip to the longest range stepfather may be the best option. So, a plan for a road trip is hatched, although Toby has very different reasons for agreeing to go. He thinks he'll end up in Los Angeles, where he hopes to break into the porn industry, which would be a welcome change from his old career as a small-time drug dealer and male prostitute. I suppose. So, off they go on a beaten old jalopy, and like most road movies, they start learning about each other. However, there's a lot of high-stake secrets to learn on this trip, and that's before their car gets nicked by a peyote shaman. <laughs> yes, I'm um, a film I saw on release, and haven't revisited until this podcast. Uh, and Likewise. I- I enjoyed it very much then, I enjoyed it very much now. Solid characters all the way throughout is probably the main thing. Uh, Both Toby and Bree feel like real, believable characters. obviously damage. this is not the uh, standard nuclear family we're talking about here, but uh, 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 they feel like very real people with problems that are believable, even though they're obviously a bit outside my realm of expertise. I think perhaps the thing that struck me when watching it in this company is that the issues... Aren't really the forefront of the film. You know, the I had exactly
0: are. the same thoughts, Scott. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, it's obviously about transsexualism. Uh, that that is there, and it's, but it's just one element of the story, and a mm-hmm. lot of that doesn't really come out until uh, a sort of visit to Rees' family later on at the end. That's all kind of backloaded, and <clears> for <throat> almost all of the film, it's barely an issue. I mean, obviously it is at certain points, but, and the certain problem of uh, having to tell this kid that he's his father slash mother, obviously is the very strange family situation that they found themselves in. It's, it, it does, I suppose, come across as being a little bit contrived as a sort of worst case scenario that someone's then uh, wrote, and wrote a film around, but it remains believable all the way throughout, again, largely because the situation may be extreme, but the characters feel incredibly believable and mm-hmm. that is the film's ace card. It's also just quite funny and quite entertaining all the way throughout, which helps as well. Great performances from Huffman and the Zegers, and there's not really an awful lot of criticisms I can throw at this film. It does its stated tasks really very well and uh yes again it's every bit as good today as it was uh what was that? Twelve 10, years ago. 10, yeah, Twelve years ago. Wow.
0: Yeah, in the company of the rest of the films we're going to talk about, it does sort of stand out as being less issue-led. I don't know. I think maybe when we're putting this list together, Scott, you and I maybe both remember this as being a bit more issue-driven than it actually was.
1: I, mean, I think somewhere between that and the fact that trans people's rights seems to be even more of a fight today yeah, than it was yeah, um, 12 years ago. Although been, it
0: seems to be yeah. talked more about now, which has yeah. got to be a good thing, right? Yes. But the fact that Brie is a transgender woman is almost incidental for a lot of it yeah and it does make me think too i think we've talked about this in this podcast and our last incarnation too. a few times about something similar and in one way yes i want them to to focus more on that and tackle it but at the same time mm-hmm. when you become a fairly conventional movie with a card who just happens to have this attribute oh, that's the point, <laughs> then yeah, that's better um it's i always go back to Brokeback mountain too, which people said oh it's the it's this gay film it's like you know, it's not. It never was. I, I never thought it was. *Brokeback Mountain* is a love story about two gay men, and, and the fact that they're gay men. Yes, there is a part of the story where that's important, but for the most part, the film is just a love story. Yeah. And this is kind of like that too. It is, this is a road trip movie, mm. and it's an entertaining, funny one with this characteristic, this theme in it. That, in terms of the movie's all, oh, it's fairly minor. Yeah. Again, that's that's better. That's in terms of representation. Isn't that what most people would? want to see i would think it would be you know the same sort of films everybody else is in just that this character happens to have this same characteristic as me or whatever yeah. it is so i think from that point of view it's commendable when you have representation like that it stops the person or or for, of whatever type mm. of being other yeah you know i know it's not the same as being same because we don't want um, homogenization mm. but it's less other it's just like there are a range of people this film happens to consider this person from this end of The Ranger's People um, yeah. rather than it being, ah, oh, look, this is what this person has to go through and we're going to bang on this and hammer on this all the time and this is what it's like and how bad it is. And, like, you know, for the most of it, it's like, yeah, it's um, a person who's having difficulty with their family for various reasons, you know, and the actual reason for that is not insignificant, yeah. but it's not the, the big point. Uh, and yes, it does help, it is well written. It's not. An absolutely brilliant film but it's thoroughly entertaining it's well made and the family could have been really I mean I know families let's do exist but they could have been that real stereotype of the horrible parent who just refuses to absolutely even talk to them Mm -hmm. and yes Brie's mother is is struggling with this isn't particularly receptive but still invites Brie back into the house let's take some clothes goes and gets food we go out together as a family for a meal mm. yeah, it would have been a very very easy thing and a lot of films would do this sort of thing where it's just like oh no get out I'm never speaking to you and like <sighs> always pleading for the to be let back in um, and yes well Fiona Flanagan as her mother yeah, she's yeah, she has problems with it and she's doesn't really want to confront what has happened with the person who was her son who's now her daughter mm. but yes it doesn't go down the very easy route of just being this this one note horrible person who doesn't want to consider that this is happening, he just denies it and, and yeah. is, just treats their the child as a stranger.
1: Although it was strange seeing Polly from Rocky as part of the family, I guess. Yeah. P- poor Burt Young, every time he shows up it's always Oh, it's Polly from Rocky. Yeah. It's, character actor of Young. it's like, no, it's Polly of Rocky.
0: And I very nearly um, referred to him as Polly <laughs> I very nearly referred to him as Polly from um from Rocky just a minute ago. So it's not just you, Scott, yeah. I mean I suppose that, that's good That he was such an iconic character in a film That you remember him so much But even like when he's in Chinatown Which was um, two years before Rocky mm. Because was we in Chinatown just a couple months ago It's like oh it's Polly from Rocky
1: Yeah.
0: In terms of maybe issues It's, it's the slightest of the ones we'll talk about tonight but Again that's, that's maybe a better way to tackle that Or it's a way, a different way to tackle it anyway
1: Yeah to be honest Nothing we've spoken about so far has really got us angry enough So I think it's time to go on to I Daniel Blake so- Yes uh,
0: yes Anger incoming. Yes, because the there's inequality and there's prejudice in the first two films. But yes, it's not. And, and certainly there are moments in Tambien La Juvia where I got angry when, when the police are beating people. But yes, now now the true anger begins, I think. Social commentator extraordinaire Ken Loachie's I, Daniel Blake, which won the Palme d'Or at last year's Cannes Film Festival, tells the story of Daniel Blake, played by Dave Johns, a working class man from Newcastle who has recently had to stop working due to suffering a severe heart attack. He has worked all of his life, never claimed for any sort of benefit, and is eager to return to work, but, sensibly, is following his doctor's orders not to. He still needs money to live, of course, but finds himself in a nightmare scenario where... Despite testimony from his GP and his surgeon, he is deemed fit to work by the government's dehumanising points system and, while he waits for an opportunity to, to appeal the decision, which sees some languishing in a frustrating, infuriating bureaucratic purgatory, he must spend at least 35 hours per week actively looking for work, despite being unable to take any job he might be offered, what with it having a good chance of making him dead. During all of this, he befriends Katie, Haley Squires, a young mum of two who is forced to move several hundred miles to Newcastle from her home in London in order to get a house for herself and her children. Daniel puts his practical skills to use, helping Katie fix some things around her house and teaching some simple tricks to help the family keep warm. And he becomes something of a surrogate grandfather to Katie's kids. The companionship, and it's only that, there's never a hint of anything else, seems to do them both good. But for both Daniel and Katie, life is getting worse. Daniel is forced to sell his possessions and Katie is hiding the fact that she isn't eating anything to ensure that there is enough food for her children. For Daniel, these pressures result in an ill-judged, if understandable, act of defiance and for Katie, it results in desperate measures in order to obtain female sanitary products and a scene in a food bank that is truly one of the most heartbreaking moments that I've ever seen in cinema. What is most affecting about I, Daniel Blake is just how authentic it is. Aside from one ton of events that feels far too drama-bomb, there is nothing in this film that doesn't ring, horrifically, depressingly, true. It's a damning indictment of the failure of one of the world's richest countries to take proper care of its own citizens, and of the almost cartoonishly evil attitude the current Tony... Tony government? And of the almost cartoonishly evil attitude the current Tory government in particular has towards the poorest in society. Daniel's stubbornness and refusal to play ball may be foolish, but it's understandable given the ridiculous and unfair situation in which he finds himself and the lack of support he's being offered. He's constantly coming up against a system that, employing Hanlon's razor, could well be attributed to stupidity in the way of bureaucracies everywhere, but feels inarguably like calculated malice. It's a system that reduces people to numbers and statistics in order to dehumanise them and allows no flexibility for human error. It seems to actively punish those members of it who act like decent human beings and who treat their clients in the same way. And, though to a considerably lesser extent than the film we will conclude this episode with, it's an embodiment of the idea of banality of evil. This film makes me very, very angry because it could be a documentary. Everything about it being so true Hmm. and it's just so wrong.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how good a film it is. If you know what I mean, uh, in, in all of the traditional ways, it's not. It, it's by no means a conventional film. It, it's all a bit loose in what it's doing, um, and I think you have to kind of come to terms with the fact that this is not really a film that's set out to entertain. This is. Oh no, I was
0: not, there is this, nothing entertaining about this film. No, it's,
1: a, it's an incredibly depressing film to watch. It's, it's one of these films that I think most people should watch. Certainly, if you're in Britain, there's there's no real excuse not to. Uh, it's. A film that is trying to be somewhat documentarian. and I remember when this came out, there was a lot of people, particularly on the Tory side of the fence, on the right wing side, saying, "Oh, this doesn't ring true." When in fact, there have been multiple studies showing that this is exactly what's going on, and lots of reports. You know, this 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 is what's happening, and this I can understand why you would desperately want it not to ring true, and seek to discredit it, because if this it's is the side <laughs> of the fence that you're on, if this is the sort of thing that you're going to you're going to call your nose and vote for then you don't really like to be held accountable for people dying. But this is what we're talking about. This is We're talking about people being stripped of dignity, stripped of any support, and eventually dying from it. Yeah. Um... As, a, as a stated aim of the government system. Because when it's a rich person, it's an incentive, and when it's a poor person, it's a handout. So let's vilify the people that are poor, because that's a great way to have us all turn on each other and... Uh, I've had this theory that for the longest time, that every, once you actually get to a position of power, your real main goal is to avoid being the person without a chair when the music stops. Because <laughs> at some point, it will. And as, at the minute, everyone's doing a really great job of saying, oh, well, it must be the fault of the immigrants and finding people for us all to blame so that we, there's no way we'll actually get together and go, well, actually, the problem is a top-down thing, not a bottom-up thing. Yes. And when that shoe drops... It is not going to be pleasant for anyone in any of the neoliberal capitalist societies. And I worry that that's going to happen sometime in my lifetime. And it won't be pleasant on any side of that equation. You've seen that documentary, Dark Knight Rises, right? Because it's going to be the end of that. (laughs) We're going to have... Tom Hardy in a duffel jacket running around with a nuclear bomb. That's what that's what it's going to end in. <laughs> and so that's really the sort of stuff that this evokes in me. It's nothing to do with the film itself, almost as exact entirely, uh, in terms of any of the performances that are there. Although, um, that's that's again a little fair. This is the second film we've talked about, spoken by Paul Laverty, isn't it? He, uh,
0: yes, um, entirely coincidentally. Um, yeah. I only realised that last night, that yeah. Paul Laverty had written both *Even the Rain and I, Daniel yeah. Blake. Um, he's yeah. our frequent collaborator with Ken Loach. Mm-hmm.
1: And, I mean, the characters feel real and it, it does at least a little bit of balance in showing that, I mean, the, the job centre's staff, there's there is at least one person who seems to be a, a person who wants to help people, which yeah, is the stated aim of it, rather than she trying the, to uh, meet government targets.
0: Yeah, she was the person that, was, that she get I mentioned when I was yeah. referring to, she gets, gets punished, for basically, yeah. for acting like a decent human being because, and that's why I mentioned Banality of Evil, and we will come back to that in a much greater depth later. But it's the idea that, people are just doing this horrible harm to other people because they think they're just doing their job yeah and the system is set up to make it like that yeah so that people have targets to set so they're, they're basically they're encouraging people to fail and to stop claiming so targets get set and then something yeah. there are some people who are generally just unpleasant people who will are happy to do that whereas other people think oh well, no this is my job i have to stop these things happening yeah,
1: and I think some of the most important points that's to bring up are, are actually not the main thrust of it. I mean, look, Daniel's in an unfortunate case where he's caught in some Brazil-like bureaucratic nightmare. Brazil as in the, the, the Gilliam film, not Brazil Nation. The country, <laughs> old, which is <laughs> yes. a bit of a <laughs> bit of for other reasons at the moment, <laughs> but yes. Yeah, yeah so, so he's... There could be a case to be made that he's just you know falling between two stools in the system and that's something that could be fixed. But although the
0: sorry just a moment, Scott, that also though is so real and widespread. Exactly. Too. So it's not it's not just like mm. he's a it's a real rarity at that point, because that you hear stories about that all the time. Yeah, he's not that, a
1: straw man argument, he's he's yeah. a real situation that could occur. And I think but some of the the more important points are things like is his, his neighbours are coming up with with the, the rise of stuff like zero hour contracts and just incredibly low paid jobs the the, social, the post-war social contract was never you need to work three jobs just to feed yourself and stay in a house that and this is the sort of this the point that we're at and, and again if you if you t- were able somehow to take the view from space and be entirely discompassionate uh, entirely dissociated from you know the, the usual emotions perhaps mm-hmm. you could see that globally inequality is getting better and you know the, the the rising tide is helping all the ships you know maybe if you're in you know, China or some of these other places where uh, people have been lifted out of poverty, then, you know, you wouldn't be quite so angry about it as you are here. But when you are in Britain, there was a generation ago where you could work one job, and do an honest day's craft, and be able to raise a family with it. Whereas that is very much not the case now. And it's hard to look at that and think that, that is not just the case of inequality getting much worse. And we have to be angry about that because it's the only way to... Get any sort of action against it But Mm -hmm. I don't know where that's going to come from Because what we're going to do Tear down the entire capitalist infrastructure That's probably the thing that would have to happen And that's terrifying Mm. But there may well be a point Where everyone gets angry enough about it To do it Because what else are you going to do And this is the sort of thing It's very easy when you start talking about this It plays right into the hand of nationalism And fascism And all these other things that we'll come on to talk about And it's very easy to weaponise that we are, as a society, creating much the same conditions that people were understandably upset about after the uh, in post-war, post-First World War Germany. And look what happened there. Oh, yes. It didn't work out particularly well for anyone. And we're now managing to do the same things through just globalisation. And yet, it is helping out other parts of the world. But is it really helping out those people as much as it's helping out Nike or <laughs> anyone else of the, the huge multinational brands? All we're doing is taking much more money from the poor and transferring it to the rich, and it's time to eat them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the rich are short of money. The 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 poor poor folk, and um, they don't have enough. Um, mm. Yeah, it's. But I mean, this it's why films like this are important, um, and particularly ones that just feel so authentic as this is that it's why people should watch it because people should get angry about this. Mm. Nothing changes otherwise, and it's why why cinema can have a role in this sort of thing. Is why we did yeah. this topics to talk about this sort of thing that you want cinema to to shine a light on things and television too i think probably television is actually more useful in this regard because it's it's in your house it's this little box no, a big box now in the corner that gives you this stuff and i think television because there's there can be more of an intimacy to television sometimes mm-hmm. that the television does its job better can do its job better Certainly cinema has its its role too, to 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 talk about topics like this and do them in a realistic way, thought-provoking way and make people angry or at least open their eyes a bit. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I don't see how you can watch something like I, Daniel Blake and not be appalled. And mm. if you're not, then I, I genuinely worry about whether you have a soul or not. That you just like, If you're not appalled by this, if you're not... And even if you disagreed about how bad it was... You
1: but you don't again, think it, anyone But could. <laughs> You couldn't, yeah. But um, <laughs>
0: imagine see you said, well, no, this is... Daniel Blake's case and this, or Katie, is a rarity. But to still look at that and think that there's not something wrong, that there, there's anybody in this situation, yeah. let alone millions of people, then yeah, there's a big, big problem. But
1: I uh, was just it's, saying, we're the f- fifth richest nation in the world, and we still, for a few more months, probably. Well, least, yeah. uh, but, uh, Thanks, Bexiteers. Sh- yes. And we shouldn't really need food banks, is what I'm saying. No, it's disgusting.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's just a film from last year, so it's still guess very in spoiler territory with I'd encourage people to watch it. But the drama bomber spoke about I suspect you know what I mean, Scott, it's like mm. it kinda doesn't fit in because that one character takes a course of action that understandable because the character's desperation. But because that's illegal and risks that person being parted from their family mm. I suspect while it, I'm sure it does happen, it's such a big step and I, I think in the grand scheme of things must be really rare, whereas the rest of it is all too common. Yeah. that bothers me a bit but the fact that even that th- that's th- that's a way the only way some people see out of the desperate situation they've ended up in mm-hmm. that should shock people as well yeah this is I mean, quite a low-key film in many ways and again that, is, that would just help sell just how ordinary and common it is um it's why i'd very much encourage people to watch this and then get very angry
1: um uh, yes I, I i would encourage people to watch it definitely if you're in britain i i Feel like I've not really spoken about the film very much as I've done a sophomoric, um socio political <laughs> ban. but um, I I don't know. In the unlikely event any there's any conservative voting people who listen to this podcast, write in. tell us what you made of this film if you've seen it, because um, I I would love to know if this is how you could watch this and then vote for these buggers. Although to be honest, a lot of this stuff started under New Labour as well. though fit this to work and. Well, yeah, I, I, Datos, kind of um, So no one's hands clean in this. Uh, in this, oh uh, no, absolutely. Like, um,
0: for for a long, long time, the a, um, the Blairite Labour Party was just sort of a less evil Tory party. So the, and the the Tory party have just basically seen what Labour did here and run with it and just um, made it worse. But um, yeah. all of the political establishment in Britain has to carry the can for this. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes, yeah, so. so uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what what we could do, Scott, just to lighten things, we could move east a little um, to Germany to talk about Die Welle and the spot of fascism. Just to lighten things up a bit, right?
1: Die Welle or the Wave, uh, in which Jürgen Vogel's high school teacher, Ranier Wenger, hoped to teach a class project about anarchy, but instead is lumbered with autocracy. He decides to go up with a way to spice things up, rather than just have a series of dry lectures, uh, when one of the kids in the class questions whether something like the rise of the Nazi party could happen in a modern Germany, uh, decides to create a bit of an experiment to prove that, well, maybe it could. While this starts off with very simple things like just essentially military drills and the simple act of having everyone wear a uniform, white shirts in this case, things soon start spiraling out of control from what seemed like a positive effects just by increasing the Solidarity of the class, having them look out for each other Soon becomes much, much scarier As soon as people start developing their own salutes to each other That's probably the first warning sign, I think And it becomes apparent that there's a few people in the class Who are taking this far too seriously Particularly one of the kids, Tim Who clearly has a, a disrupted family life at home And uh, one of the, the more loner kids Who takes this newfound family to his heart And takes things Uh, As I say, to something of an extreme There's probably not much more that needs to be said about what happens in the film Um, It's a series of escalations uh, from day to day uh, over the course of a week With things happening from very simple things Such as uh, some clubs uh, not allowing people who were not part of the wave As they term themselves uh, to take part To getting some very serious things as well, I think antagonising the anarchist groups by tagging over their uh, graffiti and taking some ill-informed risks to do so and this does raise the ire of some of the former classmates who see that things are going pear-shaped and come up with ways, or at least try to, stop them through realms of public opinion, if not actually through violence. A lot of this film doesn't feel particularly believable. In the way of the the accelerated uh, time scales that it's got going for it, which yeah, is surprising.
0: One week seems too quick, yeah.
1: Yeah, but it is surprising as much as that. While this seems fanciful, it is <laughs> based on reality. I so thought a similar experiment that happened in a Californian classroom, which had to be stopped after four days when it seemed to be getting out of hand. So this is sort of taking the. I think it was stopped. At, yeah, it was like four days, and this sort of fills in the other three days with some fairly extreme measures. And if it does have a weakness, this film, it is that it is a film and is trying to have a, a kind of more entertaining uh, ending, which does, I think, rather overegg it. But the central point of it is well-made in as much as it's not all that difficult, it turns out, to foster the sort of things I was ranting about earlier. Um, and mm-hmm. There's lots of conditions that you could create that will have people believing in your cause quite fervently and have them prepared to do some very extreme things in the name of that cause. And so, to an extent, it's a bit of a cheap trick moving this to Germany. They have, of course, the history for this sort of thing. That does help it in terms of it having the kind of dramatic impact that it needs. And it shows another, th- another element of society that we all need to be wary about. Um, mm mm-hmm. I mean, it's frightening when you think of how much of society and societal norms is based on you continuing to do what you've been doing for the last little while on the basis that you don't want to lose everything. Mm. And it, it doesn't take too many people who don't have much to lose not playing by those rules for things to get very difficult for everyone very quickly. And that's really the sort of thing that you see here. And that is that is perhaps the scary thing of it. Uh, we, we've seen how this gets co-opted, how social movements can be co-opted pretty quickly when the right conditions exist just recently in a number of cases and this is another warning if if reality is not warning enough that you need to be on the guard for this sort of thing. Uh, as a film, it is very enjoyable, actually. Uh, lots <laughs> of uh, pretty good performances all round, uh, as best as I can gather. Again, it's been a long while since I did any German at all, but the, the other characters, for the most part, are a little bit stock, I suppose. They're not hugely fleshed out, but that's more a function of the fact that, well, it's a class full of kids, so you've got quite a lot of them, and not a whole lot of time. and This is a sensibly paced um sensibly runtime film possibly like under two hours and 107 minutes according to this year so it's it's very pacey it's very punchy it's the most um film-like film we'll speak of today it's very pacefully edited and in a lot of regards it's probably the most entertaining film uh, i think of the, of the ones we'll be talking about i like it quite a lot um i quite enjoyed watching it and i think it is certainly worth seeing
0: again i hadn't seen this since i've had the DVD for ages, obviously, because I buy those things to sit in cellophane on the shelf and we forgot about for a decade. I saw this film at the Edinburgh International Film Festival um, with you, I think. I think we both saw that back then. Enjoyed it then. Pleased to see I thoroughly enjoyed it this time, possibly even slightly more. It is interesting that it's been moved to Germany because you know it, it feels because of Germany's history, it feels like it should be a German film. But um, yeah. as you said, it was a uh, in a school in the United States in California. The fact that it's in Germany is in one way a good thing too because the, the idea in the film is like, well, could this totalitarian autocratic state come up again in Germany? Mm. Um, and one thing that the Germans have to be admired for is that since World War Two, II, well, I'm sure there's some people, but as a nation, they haven't shied away from their history. Mm. They've owned it, um, which... Several other nations, including ours, in many ways haven't. Yeah, yes. um, for all of their history, whereas Germany hasn't, and they have, like for instance, made it illegal—literally illegal—to deny the Holocaust and things like that. So, in mean, Germany, doing the right thing. So, as part of that, then it's actually a really useful thing in Germany and good. But also because too, they're asking the question: "Or you know, could something like the the Nazi Party rise again in Germany?" And they're saying, "Oh no, we're past that." But to be honest. I still find it hard to believe that it happened in Germany in the first place, and I know it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, because by many, many measures, although I, I know the history is very complex and certain podcasters that I listen to and find very amusing actually blame um, the rise of Nazism on Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> I'm not going to explain how he got there, but it actually made sense. But while there was the, the lingering effects of the treaties that ended world war one that really led led the rise of fascism and the nazi party by many measures germany was probably the most cultured nation on earth when this happened you yeah. know so it's, it should really be the least likely place for it to happen because literally literally no that wouldn't be the word lit- literatorily books and that <laughs> mm-hmm. In terms of literature and music and science and things, Germany was at the forefront of so many things, yeah, and really ought to be in the last place where that could happen but so, if it can happen in Germany once it can happen again, but if it can happen in Germany, it can happen anywhere, which is a scary thing and the things that the some of the kids in this are getting out of the way of this movement aren't bad things, mm. you know some of them are lonely um, and a bit confused and lost, and then it's absolutely good that people find something that they are they're interested in or find some sort of community in, mm. those aren't bad things on their own. But the, the problem is you have the people that take it too far, like Tim here, who for the first time in his life really finds something he belongs to, mm. but it, it just fosters all the wrong sorts of things in them. And there's the dangers of, of tribalism, which is just a, a problem with our species in general, rather than it being any particular cultural thing, I think. Mm. But you can understand why people are gravitating towards this and why they do some of the things to do it. The danger is that it's so easily abused, I think, and that's um, what you always have to be watching out for, especially yeah. when it's young people like this, because emotion rather than rationality can become the driving force, and yeah. that's so easily be manipulated by a bad actor, by somebody wanting to do that for the bad. That's why the Hitler Youth was such a scary thing. Yeah. So it's a really interesting film because it makes you think about so many things. Because I say they're not all bad. Yeah. By no yeah. means are. Are I'm even a great many of the things that people are getting from this movement a bad thing, or, or the things that attracts these people to it? They're not necessarily bad, but they can so easily be abused or um, just be taken too far.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting inversion of inspiring teacher subgenre. You know, it's, yeah, it's like yeah, dead Poets yeah. society, except the dead poets are, you know, fascist poets that they're talking <laughs> about, you know. And, uh, it's a well-made film. I think it, I mean, it does throw you a bit of a... tries to throw you for a, a curveball. I mean, obviously, you thought this was going into it. But yeah, it starts off incredibly light-hearted and it's all sort of very jolly for the first 10 to 15 minutes and then it takes obviously much, much darker turns by the end of it. Yeah. Uh, it does seem that maybe it's pushing it all a little bit too far. But I mean, as a film, it works. And as a sort of demonstration of the the concepts that we're, that we're talking about, you know, it's yeah. powerful and it's certainly, again, an entertaining watch a lot of things to like in it and a lot of uh, pretty good performances, particularly uh, the teacher himself. Uh, yeah,
0: Jürgen Fogel. Um, I yeah. like him a lot. And some of the, again, in the traditional way, they were all, I checked this earlier today, all, you know, 22, 23, 24 yeah. <laughs> when they meant to be at the end of high school. So a bit too old. A couple of the actors like Kevin, plays Kevin was a few years younger. Mm-hmm. But in as much as, yes, as you mentioned, and for the reasons of there uh, being an entire class full of people, the the students are a bit Thinly characterised, I guess, thinly drawn. But yeah, um, yeah, they all perform pretty well and they're all quite compelling to watch, especially Tim. Uh, Yeah. But it does make you think in so many ways too, because it's also a warning about, in Spider-Man sort of way, I guess, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and that the people in charge of shaping the minds of our youth, like this teacher who has no bad intention in this at all, but it starts out with a very good intention. um, Yeah while yes the character resents that he's been lumped with autocracy which he doesn't want to do in this project week at this school but he's he wants to enlighten his pupils he's like he's responding to an idea that came up from his pupils to think oh this could be interesting let's teach them something and he's he's a motivated guy but then it just goes too far and it's just how careful you have to be hmm. yeah there's a lot of, of really interesting thoughts in there unlike the other films fortunately not one that makes you angry just one that makes you think this Mm-hmm. So if you want something that's going to not raise your blood pressure from our list of films, this is one of the better ones to do that with. <laughs> Yeah,
1: so I guess we now go and put the nails in our coffins with, yes, then, uh, first with Inherit the Wind.
0: Indeed, indeed. Inherit the Wind is an adaptation of Jerome Lawrence and Robert Edwin Lee's 1955 play of the same name, a dramatisation of the Scopes Monkey Trial, which in 1925 saw a teacher prosecuted for teaching Darwinism in his classroom in contravention of Tennessee state law. Spencer Tracy stars as defence attorney Henry Drummond, opposite prosecutor Matthew Harrison Brady, Frederick March, analogues of the real-life lawyers Clarence Darrow and William Jennings Bryan. While ostensibly a dramatic retelling of that infamous creationism versus evolution court case, and, certainly, historical inaccuracies aside, it stands up as that, this was a play written deep in the era of McCarthyism. One of the screenwriters, Nedrick Young, was even blacklisted at the time, and the issue of teaching evolution was... In the words of Lawrence himself, a parable, a metaphor for any kind of mind control. In essence, it's about intellectual freedom and the right to think. Two things that some seek to suppress and others, distressingly, surrender willingly. The film begins in a manner almost like a western, with lawmen meeting in the town square and then marching into a building with intent. Their mission? To arrest Bertram Case, Dick York, the film's John Scopes analogue, because he has had the temerity to teach science in a school. The despicable monster. Not long after, he is carted off to jail, and the local bigwigs begin to have second thoughts about the whole business, as the national media is making their backward little town a laughingstock. But before they can reverse their actions, nationally renowned lawyer and Bible scholar Matthew Brady arrives to prosecute the case. He is soon followed by Gene Kelly's H.L. stand and E.K. Hornbeck of the Baltimore Herald, and then Drummond, a longtime friend and now adversary of Brady, to act for the defence. The case itself should take about three minutes because it's open and shut. Case unequivocally broke the law, but like the real case, which was in fact a stunt in order for the ACLU to challenge the law and eventually take it to the Supreme Court and challenge the constitutionality of this and similar laws, Mm -hmm. the trial becomes not about the fact that the law was broken, but about the merit of the law itself and its associated anti-intellectualism and the right of an individual to think. Cue scintillating dialogue and thunderous, compelling exchanges between Drummond and Brady with superb performances from Tracy and March. Uh, This film certainly has a knack for getting my blood up and making me think and think about what I'm thinking. Which I think is a good thing, I think. (laughs) Uh, Seeing the imbecilic, unthinking mob crying for the death of a schoolteacher makes me wish every single member of that mob dead. And then it occurs to me that I want people to die because they want people to die. And that doesn't seem like a very intelligent response. But at least I know that my thoughts are my own. And that I suppose is very much the point. We don't need no outsiders to tell us how or what to think, says a local to Drummond. Well, no, you don't need an outsider to do that, because you already have an insider to do that for you. And his name is Reverend Brown, with his 17th century book of fairy tales. This being a heavily religion-based film, I get very, very angry watching this. Because people just take for granted these words in a book from centuries ago, written by men, and think it's the the words of some magical sky wizard, and it makes me angry. And even if you have faith for whatever reason, and I understand people do have reasons for it, the desire that people don't think that religion seems to espouse and impose terrifies me. I mean, as a film, it's thoroughly entertaining. Uh, Spencer Tracy is fantastic. And just listening to the dialogue and watching this, watching basically him giving um, Brady enough rope to hang himself, it's fascinating. But it's all the the themes in there and about this. Still, uh, it has been a problem at times in this country, but I know in the United States it's still a massive problem. And particularly right now, this continuing thread of Mm anti-intellectualism, which has seen people elect the least suitable American president there has possibly ever been because they don't trust smart people, which terrifies me because running a country is an incredibly difficult and challenging job and I would want the smartest person I could possibly find to do that. But no, apparently that's a bad thing.
1: She had emails on a server, Drew.
0: <laughs> yes. I don't want to get into an anti-Trump rant just now. <laughs> it will not end. And yes, um, really, for our point of view, it should really be an anti-May rant, but she'd just mm. avoid the question. Yeah, it's. it does make you think... So much about just the dangers of dangers of not thinking. It really comes down to that. It's the fact that people will willingly surrender their thinking to someone else and do what other people tell them, and just unwilling to think. I don't understand that. It's beyond me.
1: Yeah, I mean, my problem, which is exemplified in this film, although it's not, you know, critical to it, is that I don't, I'm very lazy. Fair. I'm as libertarian as you come when these kind of things. are I don't mind anyone believing whatever they want to believe, but as soon as they start forcing other people to believe the Mm -hmm. same things and not having any consideration for what anyone else believes, that is where the problems lie, and this is the essential crux of this film. Uh, I mean, I suppose as a film itself, this is one of the many classics I hadn't seen until being forced to for this podcast. So, again, (laughs) thanks for that. Um, And I agree largely with what you're saying. It's It's a very... It's a very well produced film that produces uh, some very <laughs> angry responses. But yeah, Spencer Tracy, of course, is fantastic. Gene Kelly, I found mildly irritating. Um, he's, I kind he's got a, he's meant to be, though. He's got, yeah, I mean, he's he sort of cynical, bon mots, but I think he could have done with a few lines where he wasn't just making a one liner. <laughs> um, he, he doesn't feel like a character, he, he feels like a author insertion joke device. Um, <laughs> But, you know, minor quibbles aside, this is, of course, an interesting tale and well worth watching. We'll talk about some more harmful effects of religion in the next film, but this is more that it's exceptionally irritating that any society will try and enforce homogeneity onto anything. And again, you can see why it's a very useful form of control, social control, and that's why it's lingered for so long in society. I think that is most positive. It's a great way of banding people together. It's just obnoxious when they can't see outside that, or people are not being allowed to do anything outside that. And then again, as soon as you get that kind of tribalism of religion uh, coming mm-hmm. into it, that's where all these troubles uh, can arise. And when you can't accept that there is other truths apart from yours, then of course we're, we're all in trouble. Uh,
0: There's also, I mean, it covers a lot too. The the fact that people willfully are ignoring things like the the idea of the separation of church and state. Yeah. And the dangers of that. And then just the the fact that because of some book that people basically abandon their humanity. Mm. And people will believe so fervently in this thing that they'll wish their daughter eternal damnation. Yeah. People have faith. Now, while I personally think it's foolish I understand people have faith in uh, other supreme, whatever word you want to use, being or beings. And they may have reasons to feel that. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't believe that myself. But people have faith in things and sometimes it, it generally gives people comfort and I can understand why they want it. And if people find if, that they get comfort in it or answers, that's all fine. But I hate with every fiber of my being religion. I despise it and religion for the most part has absolutely sawed all to do with faith and this film really focuses on that because religion's about control and then they use structures of faith and things to um, implement that control but it's about power it's not about faith and it damages people's lives and it makes things materially worse and again something we'll very much talk about more in the next film
1: you can't really separate the truth because if you don't have religion how do you go put to have faith in so you get into a bit of a chicken and egg <laughs> scenario with, with all that and it's it would be very difficult to take something where if you have faith that this is the that this is the path to your salvation and not being damned for eternity it's difficult to have a lot of free thought. The bounds are fairly well defined and you can't really go out of them too far without your damning your eternal soul. If you're doing the uh, game theory way of doing it you can sort of understand why you might not want to do that. Um, but no, I think the, the central tenet of the film, as you mentioned at the start, is not really religion, much as is obviously religion runs all the way through it but it's just about the right to think for yourself yeah and
0: it's more that i mean again this film was particularly about mccarthyism but that it either things like mccarthyism either exploit the same weaknesses in people that religion can exploit Mm. or uses the same structures and methods that it uses all for a bad end Mm. Um, and then you get people who are who genuinely believe this stuff like passionately believe it and brady in this film probably doesn't brady's not a stupid person mistaken certainly for me but he's not stupid uh, he believes these things he's saying and that he's someone some sort of mission or something but then you get other people who just like get caught up in that structure and then uh, i'll just abdicate my thinking to someone else and i'll let them tell me what to do
1: i guess part of the problem i have with this film is that it's it's dramatised to the point of being a straw man for a lot of it, and I can imagine if you're on the other side of this fence than from we are, you couldn't really take this seriously as an argumentative point because, you know, all these things, like the the the, the ludicrous mob baying for blood, you know, that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, that didn't happen. That was um, first invented for the film.
1: Uh, yeah, and but I mean, it's such a critical element of the drama of, of this film that it is exploitative. I mean, this this is a film that has no sympathy whatsoever for its villains, and clearly it paints them as villains. There's no yeah. attempt made to understand anyone in the film unless you happen to be on the right side On <laughs> for these uh, goddamned Hollywood intellectuals. It's not a social document in a way that some of the other films we've talked about mm-hmm. are. It, you, you can't hold it up as a valid criticism of pretty much anything apart from it being quite a good film to watch with <laughs> of good actors in it. But it's not a great exploration of any of this. It's just the polemic rant. Now, it's a polemic rant I happen to believe, to agree with. So like a lot of, like, say, a Michael Moore documentary, I can watch it and be angry along with it. But it, they're both fabrications. Um, this this one, just more explicitly. Uh,
0: yeah, well, be the, yes, well, there are fabrications in it. But some of the stuff does actually ring very true with the real Scots Monkey Trail. Yes, there wasn't things like Kate's uh, scopes didn't like make his impassioned plea for well not clemency but it's like to be treated differently and, and he willingly got himself put on trial. Uh, yeah. The whole thing was a stunt, but a lot of the at least the tone of the exchanges in the courtroom are very like the real thing. The judge throwing out all of the testimony of the defence and then promoting the religious stuff at the start of the the trial all happened. So there is there is truth in it. The baying mob, which, is, which made people really angry because well, it's partly engineered to do that in the film, but also hmm. things like that do happen. Mobs and towns and burning of books and things, they have happened, particularly in that part of the United States, the Bible Belt. There is a core there, which is very much like the real thing that happened. So it's not a complete fabrication by any means.
1: I mean, not a complete fabrication, sure, but I mean, how widespread is it? I mean, I don't think almost anyone... Who's a Christian? Could be It'd be like saying all Muslims are suicide bombers. You know, it, it's yeah. getting to that level of, of baudelarisation. It's not valid as a social construct. I don't think so, think it is anyway. A lot of people have religion in their lives and are perfectly sensible otherwise. <laughs> and I don't really think that there's a lot I of people... I think
0: most people probably even... Yeah,
1: but... yeah, I mean, the number of people that actually go out and burn books is the same number of people that are those, you know, what's that, Phelps? The church. Oh, of, the Westboro uh, Baptist Church. Yeah, those yeah. those lunatics. But you know that that's six people. You <laughs> know, the actual people who are really out on the fringes is minimal. And this is a film that that tries to make that m- much more widespread, and than I think it is in reality. And I just a lot of time, I think it's overstating the effects that it could have. I mean, you know, that's that's fine. That's partly that's that's why we do these sort of things to as a species. You you, you look at the extremes to, for the warning signs and. You know, that's all fair, but I don't think it'd be fair to say that this is a, a a valid reflection of, you know, Southern life, even at the time, let alone now. But, you know, give me that old-time religion, it's good enough for me. Maybe the most irritating song in the world, that one, actually.
0: Yes, it's... I don't know, it's annoying, it kind of gets stuck in my head, that tune. It's um. It's good enough for me, but again, that's still part of the whole thing. It's like people refusing to think, and that, it's maybe this, this film paints that in the, the worst way, but... Are people who do that who just who who don't think, and that drives me crazy i if people come to different conclusions, we believe different things, but it's as a result of actual thought, yeah, that doesn't bother me as so much, but the people who just refuse to think unforgivable and untenable, and I, I will not accept that it. it's just wrong, and too many people do it or don't do it as opposed to anything know you want to to phrase that still it's it's a very entertaining and worthy film to watch and Yes, it, it may it blows things out of proportion somewhat. I'm not sure you can say blows and somewhat together, but it is worth doing that though, because because particularly when it was about McCarthyism, when you have the government doing those things, you know, that, that, then it does affect millions of people's lives. You know, if, it's, if it was just one small town, then yeah, okay, you don't think about it. But when, when that's meant to be an analogue of McCarthyism, when the government's doing it, and the fact that, those sorts of things can still be happening, and that people want to introduce laws that will genuinely limit people's learning um, and stymie progress, or even turn progress back. Yeah, that's a bad thing.
1: Yeah, and as we've spoken about, I guess previously, it only takes the right kind of crisis or adverse social conditions for someone to leverage something like this into a wider well, scale mm-hmm. control movement. You know, we've—I don't know if you've been watching *The Handmaid's Tale*; that's something no. very similar. But yeah, it's a, an event where religion then becomes a A more dominant form And it's not It doesn't work out well For a lot of people So yes Still uh, After all these years uh, Relevant and interesting To watch though Uh, Yeah Perhaps not to be taken On blind faith As it were
0: Yes Now Sticking with religion And With Our Levels of increasing anger We're going to move West again No East See, all this anger has made me forget the compass.
1: (laughs) If you go west far enough.
0: If you go west far enough, yes. Or if you take a slightly shorter route and go east, back to the western fringes of Europe. um, A film where, again, religion has negatively affected people's lives. And distressingly, given how angry this film makes me, one that actually underplayed the actual thing. So, Scott, please... um, Tell us in measured tones, if possible, about the Magdalen Sisters.
1: <laughs> yes, as, uh, as unbelievable as that is, the Magdalen Sisters. Now, uh, Peter Mullen, for most audiences, I would wager, may not be a household name, but the Scots actor will perhaps be best known for his appearances as Swanee in Train Spotting, uh, or as the leading Ken Loach's My Name Is Joe, or perhaps he simply as Hey, it's that guy in a wide variety of films stretching back decades. I mean, if it's a British film, he's probably in it. And and he's probably quite good in it. But he's also directed three films, the second of which we are gathered here to talk about, The Magdalene Sisters. Uh, it would be remiss not to point out that his other films, Ned's, and particularly his debut, Orphans, come highly recommended, particularly if you have any interest at all in contemporary Scottish filmmaking and culture. But for The Magdalene Sisters, we are over in Ireland, set in 1964. We are introduced to three young ladies who are guilty of some of the greatest sins known to mankind. Uh, Rose, played by Dorothy Duffy, commits the mortal sin of having a child outside of wedlock. Margaret. Well,
0: i they're guilty of being women.
1: Pretty much. Um, Margaret, Anne-Marie gets raped by her cousin, and this is clearly a bad thing. Uh, unfortunately, not for the guy doing the raping, but for her. And Bernadette, played by Nora J. Noon, uh, commits the most heinous crime of all, looking pretty and talking to boys. Uh, For this, she is...
0: Scott, she has two X chromosomes and therefore is to be damned for all time.
1: (laughs) Yes. For this, the girls' respective guardians uh, come to the decision to send them away from their homes and into the care of the Catholic Church, those tender mercies. The Magdalene laundries are based on a somewhat curious adaptation of Mary Magdalene, who, after turning the path of Jesus, denied herself any earthly indulgences and worked continually to redeem herself and save her soul. So it goes. And the slant on this for the laundries would be that uh, why shouldn't they do the same thing? Uh, men, of course, are helpless beasts and capable of resisting temptation, so it's the duty of all good Catholic girls to remove them from the path of any of these hapless, ludicrous males. So, while the mainly unseen males in this film get off with a, a light telling off, the girls are banished from society and are left very much outside, out of mind, put to a rural laundry where they are worked tirelessly with back-breaking labour, hand-scrubbing clothes uh, with occasional breaks for humiliation at the hands of the nuns who are running the place. Yeah,
0: they are slaves. Yes. That's simple as that, they are slaves. They don't get paid. They are not allowed to leave. They're slaves.
1: Yes, and and so it goes. It's an exceptionally depressing film to watch and you know, said the, the, the real tragedy is here, is that This was a real thing that happened. It doesn't seem like it should be happening at all in Western society, but slave labour and, you know, ritual humiliation at the hands of some people who are just clearly evil. Now, when I was watching this again, I watched this when it came out in the cinema back in 2002, and I have had no urge whatsoever to go back to it in those 15 years because it is bleak to the point of absolute (laughs) wrist splitting misery. It's- yeah,
0: it's basically the two main emotions are apoplectic anger and mm-hmm. utter depression.
1: Yeah, I guess the, the scariest thing in all of it is that there's people, when you see some of the older inhabitants of this, people who have been there for long enough, they've kind of been brainwashed into thinking that this is for their own good, which is absolutely tragic. I guess watching it again, the, the flaw in a film, if anything, is that the nuns in it are just evil. There's no... <laughs> I could kind of understand it if this was, you know, if those nuns thought that this was the way we need to save those people's soul. I wouldn't agree with it, obviously, but I could at least have some inroads as to how their mind works. But the way they're presented, I noticed this time around, is that they are just plain evil. To the point where, you know, it's not even debatable. They're they're just doing <laughs> the worst things you could do at any point in the film when they have any decision to make. You know, they're they're almost cartoonishly evil. But, again... It happened. This is this is not based on some made-up story. This is this is actual things that happened yeah, to it's people. Not,
0: not a cautionary tale. It's not an analog. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, through to you, Scott, the people who were in the laundry said after the film came out, "Yeah, that's not so bad, but the actual thing was worse."
1: Yeah, <sighs> it's it's a really tough film to watch or recommend. It's just so bleak. I mean. It, If you don't know about anything about the Magdalene Laundries, this is is a good way of anything and getting a taste for the the sheer horror of it in a way that just perhaps reading the events may not. But, God, it's a tough watch. Mm -hmm. It's really well done. And uh, I have nothing but praise for all the people acting in it on on all sides of the the coin, whether the the nuns or the unfortunate girls who are taken away. They all do very well. But it's just so hard to watch, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's
0: basically... um it's impossible just not to watch this with anger coursing through your veins for the whole two hours of it. Yeah. I mean, Geraldine McEwen is... You know, these people are in their religion and they're supposed to be caring people and they basically the devil.
1: Yeah, not one of them. But even worse than that, not one of them seems to have any sort of connection to something spiritual at all. I, don't, I just don't know why these nuns are nuns. They don't have any... The, the supposed virtues of Catholicism in there at all? They're they're just purely evil, and I don't understand how how that got around. I don't know. Geraldine
0: McCune's character was pretty interested in money, which is the defining characteristic of the Catholic Church.
1: <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so
0: um, that seems quite spot on to me: the, the hoarding of money, the hoarding of money, the protection of abusive priests and um, the denigration of women. Those are the three main tenets of the Catholic faith, as far as I can tell. I so, <laughs> suppose. But I've never seen any evidence to the contrary. I mean, I mentioned earlier the banality of evil. This was the film I was talking about. And I mean, yes, maybe actually in terms of this film, it's that's a bit less obvious because it's more just like straight up evil, evil. Hmm. But the system in which this was allowed to flourish is the banality of evil that people would involve in this and thinking, oh, this, somehow this is for other people's good and then it's also my job and would we'll just let this, these things happen. But, like, People were literally held against their will. Yeah. In twen- In the 20th century, I mean, was it 1990 something, the, yeah, the last one closed, which is a terrifying thing.
1: That's the last gut punch in a film that is a series of gut punches, <laughs> yeah. is that the last one closed in 1996. Yeah. Um, what on earth was going on with yeah. that? I just don't understand how... There's no way this could be legal. I don't understand how any of it happened. It confuses me on a number yeah, of no, levels. Um, it seems like slave labour is a thing that should not be there in Ireland. You know, it is puzzling. Yeah, I mean, and
0: Ireland in the last 20 years has, has changed so much to the point where it's almost like it's not the same country anymore. And, and changed mm-hmm. in a good way, I mean, because, for instance, you know, um, a lot of countries, including ours, gay marriage has in the last decade or so become legal which is great that's the step forward you want but it was put through by parliament whereas in ireland of all places ireland gay marriage was approved by popular referendum it mm. you know, so like the majority of the nation wanted it and that's fantastic in a country that had historically been as conservative as ireland and had things like the madeleine laundries and there's possibly no country on earth that's been messed up as much as ireland has by catholicism but it's just this bewildering idea that in the 20th century, and I think it's as late as 1996, women for no crime other than being women, basically, had some strange idea that somehow their men have to be protected from the existence of women because men can't help themselves. But women literally spending near enough their entire lives as slave labour in these laundries. Like, literally decades these people are spending in their people somehow thought that this was acceptable or normal or not, like, the greatest crime that you can imagine. Yeah. It's bewildering, and the really, really scary thing about this is that while other films we've talked about may have, like, sort of over dramatized some things, apart from maybe I, Daniel Blake, again, feels kind of spot on for the most part that we've talked about tonight, but The Madeline Sisters is the one that underplays the actual reality of it. Yeah. You watch this, and you think how how can this be real this can be on. and then you find out the real thing was worse and it's impossible to really get my mind around that mm. um, so by no means is this an enjoyable film the performances are excellent and uh, Peter Mullen's direction um, the one downside is the small role Peter Mullen has doesn't work so well because he can't do an Irish accent because his Scottish accent is so strong yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah it's a, it's a really well made film and it's certainly worth it I, I think you should watch it even if, if nothing else then to learn about this Good grief, is it not entertaining? This is not an enjoyable film in any way, shape or form because it's just the whole thing. It's basically horror after horror after horror. Yeah.
1: <sighs> so, a solid recommendation. from <laughs> It's a, It's a really good, challenging bit of cinema. And, I mean, you know, I love escapism as much as the next guy, but it can't all be, you know, daft action films, super superhero no, comics. S- um, you need something like this now <sighs> and again just to work yeah. out those muscles.
0: It's something of a an irritation to me again you don't know what people's lives are like and what harsh they having lives, but some people will only watch things for entertainment or escapism and like I don't really think that's a good way to live you need to watch something that informs you or challenges you sometimes in some ways just sometimes even if it's not enjoyable I just think it's it's better for a person in terms of development in terms of being informed all of those things that you should watch things like this from time to time, even knowing that it's not an ex- enjoyable experience that it's worthy and that you need to know that these places exist or existed you know so so you can help stop them existing again because that's always a yeah. Whole other possibility yeah indeed and because this is a a drama with um cards then think why cinema has a role in bringing to light this sort of thing because when you have a mean, documentaries can be very compelling depending on how well made they are of course how well um structured but they have the danger sometimes of being dry or not quite having the same emotional impact. Oh, well, they can, certainly, but when you have a percentage like this with an actual character, it's been well proven that, you know, the humans can feel more empathy when you sort of concentrate on one or two people. It's why charity adverts, you know, focus on one one child who's starving rather than a thousand children because for some reason humans mm. latch onto that more easily than lots of them. If there's like if there's one character, effectively... That's why cinema has a role in this, so um, when you do it in a dramatic style like this with a, a character and a story arc you can follow, this is where cinema works. This is when it can personalise possibly, the idea of this plight, where like a straight-up documentary might struggle to have the same emotional impact's not quite what I mean to say, but it might struggle to get people quite so invested. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you actually have like, a character, three um, real main characters in this film, but and then you can follow the story and then you take in all of this situation around that by following that story. Yeah. I really do urge people to watch The Magdalene Sisters. Maybe not do it when you're feeling down because it's not going to help.
1: Yeah. Watch it when you're feeling up because then it'll bring you down. Um, <laughs> it's, it, if, you're, if you're on a particularly wild drug trip and you need a downer, this will sort you out better than uh, horse tranquilizers. so give that a go.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Can we stop now? I'm very sad. <laughs>
0: Yes, um, We will stop because that has in fact brought us to the the end of this episode (laughs) Yes Well we just have a wee cry now A cathartic um, explanation of tears (laughs)
1: Yes
0: (laughs) All of the films we covered we would recommend watching Um, Oh yes, yes There's not one that we wouldn't recommend and They all cover such different things Probably wouldn't watch them all in any sort of short space of time Like we've just done though (laughs) You you may find it takes a while to recover from that emotionally (laughs) Yes,
1: it's been two very depressing triple bills I've had lately. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't recommend that. No. So that brings us to the end of this podcast. Mercifully, we will be with you in another ten days with two equally bleak films. I'm, I'm sure. Um, so, yes, if you want to join along with that, we mentioned the films we we're covering at the start. Uh, before we go, we'll probably just give a quick shout out to Jazine Hollings. who sent us a lovely email. Won't read it all out, but um, a big part of that was. A request for us to cover some more foreign language films. We've done a few here, and if you go back into archives, you'll find a few, particularly uh, with uh, some of the Japanese films from the likes of Takeshi Kitano.
0: Yeah, we did a double bill on French New Wave. Also, she mentioned Old Boy, which we haven't specifically covered, but if you go back to her at the very beginning, uh, Scott did include the first of the Vengeance trilogy, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, in mm. his um, favourite films and um, opening podcast, mm. and you'll find. Foreign language films scattered throughout the place, including obviously this particular episode.
1: Yes, but I think we do have a sort of action note to do more foreign language stuff anyway, so that's uh, certainly spurring us on to. Yes, this is a drum I repeatedly beat. <laughs> yes, and as for another idea that you thought we'll try and come up with something. We won't spoil it where it is yet for the kiddies, but the only objection we might have is that it does mean that we're watching films that we probably don't like very much, which is maybe not the, the core concept of this podcast, but we'll, we're taking it on board. Twitter's been very quiet lately uh, on retrospect maybe not the best choice of medium for feedback on these particular films I suppose <laughs> but um, yes we, if you do have anything you want to say get, hit us up uh, we're on Twitter at fudsonfilm, we're on Facebook facebook.com slash fudsonfilm and we're on email that's podcast at fudsonfilm.com and until next time I have been Scott Morris and Drew has been Drew. Hasta luego Daddy Vogels.